0: How we practice religion and, most importantly, how we transmit religion in our developed secular societies has fundamentally changed. The transmission is no longer inherited or communal. It is now private, individual, a matter of individual choice, the way shopping is. Now, secularism has a long history of debate already, and I think we're beginning to see that there is at least two forms of secularism that should be distinguished. And one is naive secularism, and the second I would call mature secularism. I think naive secularism is pretty much over. It survives only with a few diehard folks like Christopher Dawkins and Daniel Dennett, you know, people really attached to the idea that science has now made religion obsolete. Uh, outside of philosophy circles, I don't meet too many of those people, I must say. There's quite a few of them in philosophy departments. Um, so that, that, that these are proponents of naive secularism. Uh, mature secularism is more the kind of secularism that Charles Taylor is discussing in a secular age. So naive secularism is a very clear, based on a very clear thesis, really. that re- The thesis is this. That religion is a sign of ignorance, and it thrives in places of underdevelopment, where people are not properly educated, where science has been held back for whatever reason, or where the community is denied free access to education and information, largely in poor, underdeveloped places. Religion thrives there because of a lack of education. And as these countries develop, as the world develops, as we become more knowledgeable about the structure of the natural world, for example, the age of the earth, and the Big Bang, and heat death, and so on and so forth, and as people become more and more, um, as this information becomes more and more accessible to people, and people are educated uh, as a kind of human right, religion should wither away. The only problem is, that that didn't happen. So this naive secular view, I mean, I refer to some contemporary, you know, diehards, but the the naive secular view really had its heyday a century ago. You know, that was when it was really ramping up, end of the 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, I think Sigmund Freud, for example, is a, a, a good repre- representative of a naive secularist. He thinks religion is a, is a neurosis, and that, the, that as we become educated as a people about the unconscious and, uh, and about our, our mental flaws, uh, we shall become free of it. Uh, so uh, naive secularism was disproven wrong by a simple fact that the world developed, in many parts, much of the world developed. And as it developed, religion didn't disappear. It didn't go away. So just think about the intensity of evangelical Christianity, for example, in the United States. Obviously, development is not a threat to evangelical Christianity. Obviously, education and free access to it is not a threat to evangelical Christianity any more than it's a threat to other forms of religion in the world. We see In fact, you could, if you expand the notion of what what religion is uh, and disidentify from certain familiar forms of it, you could say that our contemporary developed secular world is saturated by religion. If we start to look around, for example, at spirituality, you know, at the new age, or why not at psychoanalysis, particularly union psychoanalysis, uh, at the uh, rise of the so-called spiritual but not religious movement at the wellness culture, at you know, the yoga industry, at the eco-retreat uh, industry, if we look at all of this activity as having something to do with a religious instinct in the human being, some expression of religion in our time, then we can only say that secularism uh, was naive in assuming that development and education and the rise of science uh, would lead to the withering of religion. It simply didn't didn't happen. But something did happen to religion, and this is where Taylor's thesis comes in. Uh, Charles Taylor argues in the secular age that it's not the what of religion that has changed, it is the how that has changed. That is, how we practice religion, and most importantly, how we transmit religion in our developed secular societies, has fundamentally changed. The transmission is no longer inherited or communal it is now private individual a subject a matter for a matter of individual choice the way shopping is The point is not to say this is good or bad, just to identify it some a sociological point. So, if we go back to this 1948 moment when Thomas Merton's story of his conversion and entrance to, uh, into a Cistercian monastery becomes a bestseller, and the people who read that book probably Christians, but not necessarily. But uh, those who were who belonged to a mainstream religion would have. Would have belonged to that religion because it was their family's religion. That's why they went to church. They go to the church that their fathers went to, that their mothers went to, that they were baptized in. They're Lutherans because their family has been Lutheran for four centuries. You know, they're Roman Catholic because their family has always been Roman Catholic, and so on. Uh, so one was one was one inherited a religion. And this has now this has now uh, ceased to, to be the case, even among people who find themselves committed to mainstream mainline uh, religious denominations or christian denominations if they still go to church they go because they choose to go not because their parents belong to that church you know paris is full of empty churches right empty churches that are converted to museums but if you go to the parish of saint germain de pray at least the last time I was there, which was a few years ago now, you'll find anything but an empty church. It's full, full of people, very vibrant vibrant parish, full of young people, young families. These people, I would hazard to say, are not going to that church because their families went to that church, or they are not practicing Christianity because it was given to them. They were, you know, they were, they, they were inherited it along with their family name. They have chosen this. Saint Germain de Pray as their spiritual home, like other people choose the yoga studio or meditate with the Shambala crowd, and so this is the big shift Taylor uh, identifies. And I think this is the mark of mature secularism. Mature secularism refers to the freedom of the individual to be he, who or she, he or she wishes to be, regardless of where they come from and who their parents were, and their and also with the, with the ideology of human rights, which is still very strong, regardless of their race or ethnicity. We are self-creators in the secular world. We are free, we are given a project of making ourselves. Uh, we are not defined by our past. This is the fundamental thesis of mature secularism. We are not defined by our past. And so why should our religion be defined by our past? If we wish to be religious, we are free to be religious. If we wish to practice no religion, we are free to practice no religion. If we wish to write scientific treatises or pseudo-scientific treatises about why religion is ignorance, we are free to do that too. The the mature secular world is not the world in which religion dies, it is the world in which religion at last is individualized, as everything else has been in the secular age. Privatized, even consumer-driven. Religion is now a consumer product. So, before we start smugly looking down at the New Agers or laughing at the people people who follow Oprah's reading list, I mean, maybe we don't want to do that, but I have a tendency to do that, so I'm talking to myself here. Uh, We should recognize that these folks are driven to their forms, their their consumption of religious products, for much the same reason, sociological speaking, that people, church people, are driven to practice traditional forms of Christianity. We're all in this together. We are all consumers. If if there is a tension between, let's say, secular Christ and the world, you know, things that are going on in the world today. It's not going to be a tension between Christianity and mature secularism. That's not the site of tension. There is, there is a tension, I think, because wherever Christ appears, he divides. We need to recognize this. He says himself, I, did, I, 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 can't, I, I came to, to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish it was burning already. You know, he divides father from son, and mother from daughter. And this is all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Christ is the one who divides people, and there's that, that, there's that paradox again. He, but he divides people not because he wishes to, to destroy things, but because he forces a decision, right? So, so the decision is happening now too in our secular consumer world. But where is it happening? And what is its site, and what are its conditions? So, the point about Christianity and privatized consumer-driven. Secular religion is, is 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 that is is the following. Um, Christianity cannot simply condemn all that for multiple reasons. First of all, if it was to do so, if it was to condemn that world, you know, as as, as some religious sects do, you know, think of the Hasidic communities who forming little ghettos within the cities where they more or less defect completely from. What's going on in the world? Uh, Christianity cannot do that. It seems to me, because if it was to do that, it would first of all be condemning much that is good. And let me just give give uh, these three items as a list of good things uh, that the secular consumer world supports, at least in theory and promotes, uh, sometimes in practice: freedom, the emancipation of women, social mobility. Christianity uh, supports these things because it, in fact, invented them. If Christianity was to condemn the secular world, it would be condemning its own child because it was Christendom that produced secular society. None of these values exist apart from Christianity, and the proof is that they existed nowhere else. Individual freedom The emancipation of women and social mobility in particular. These are the marks of Christian modernity. They they are introduced into the world in early European modernity by secular Christians or secularizing Christians, you know, political theorists and so on, but also by these institutions that promote them in one way or another, the colleges that we referred to earlier. So this is the child of Christendom. The modern world would not exist without Christendom. Christendom Is gone. It has been succeeded by secular modernity. But that succession was not a revolution, it was actually a development. Secular Christianity has become in its perversion, in its one-sided development, it's become the exact reverse of itself. And there's an old word for that. And the word is antichrist. You know, the antichrist looks like the Christ he's a he's a, certain, in a certain way he's the brother of the Christ because he's, he's not going to be there without the christ there's a, there's a new form of evil that enters the world with Christianity it's not there before it's not the old guy yes of course there's Satan and there's a serpent and all that so there's a kind of genealogy of evil but Antichrist has a different has a different uh, strategy and his strategy is precisely to take what is apparently a value and use it to displace the Christ. And I think this is happening in secular uh, consumer society today. And I think uh, environmental indicators are signs that this is, uh, this is afoot. And I think that the deterrent uh, to Islam as well is uh, healthily recognizing something demonic, satanic in uh, secular modernity with its roots in Christianity. We wanted to know where to look. Where where should we look for secular Christ? Let's look. Uh, He's hard to find, admittedly, but maybe his demonic brother is easier to locate. Let's look to Antichrist.